This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Him because the old covenant is done. He is the Lamb of God. No more sacrifices of animals. He has done so much for us. The Old Testament sacrifice was obsolete as we, we looked at, but we sacrifice. We give our lives to the Lord as a sacrifice. And he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes this I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. When we read through the Old Testament and see all the requirements for the atonement of sins, we can appreciate Jesus' sacrifice all the more. Jesus gave up everything so that we could have everything. Everything that we will ever need is found in Him. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about how we can respond to this message. We are called to offer our entire lives as a living sacrifice to Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 as he continues his message... Final instructions. Paul says, Don't listen to them. He said, Are you continuing in the flesh what began in the spirit? What began is when you were born again. Through Jesus Christ, you don't have to adapt those. Those things were a shadow. So now you're going to be more Jewish and want to be more Christian. When you first you was a Christian, now you want to be Jewish. And that's what happened with legalism. And there are many people who feel that, oh, you shouldn't eat that. You can't, you shouldn't eat bacon. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to eat bacon. I don't know about you. Bacon makes everything taste good. I don't know about it. You know, I try to, you know, even grow bacon, but I couldn't find bacon seeds. So I love bacon. I'm a meatitarian, so don't <laughs> praise the Lord for the cross. <laughs> anyway, you shouldn't eat bacon or you can't drink that. You shouldn't drink that. And I say, well, you know, that's legalism, okay? You know, they forget about the new covenant. God already mentioned about a new covenant to come. He gave the children of Israel when they exited out of Egypt. He gave them a covenant. He gave them the law. But he said, but I'm going to give you a new covenant. And here it is. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 33. This is what the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a New covenant, if there's something new, that means there was something old, right? A new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant, that's the old one, the law, Moses. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, so they broke those laws, right? Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the new covenant, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. That is the new covenant. However, 
Many who want to live by the old covenant forgot about this prophecy, forgot about the new covenant that comes by the way of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. There are people who say, oh, it's got to be Saturday. Oh, you, got, you, you shouldn't do anything on Sunday. You know, I am resting on Jesus Christ. Sabbath is every day for me. I don't only worship and Sabbath on one day. Jesus is every day for me. And say, which are, here it is, verse 7, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. All that was to point to Jesus. And regarding food, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11? Jesus says, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. But what comes out of your mouth, this defiles a man. It's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean or makes you unholy, if you will. Many of you, if you eat this, that's not holy. That, oh, God is going to be angry with you. Don't eat this. God created a digestive system, okay? And it works. It may not be healthy what you eat, but he says it's not what goes in you that makes you unclean. What comes out of your mouth. People concerned about eating bacon and kosher, not kosher foods. But meanwhile, what comes out of their mouth? Lies, deceit. You can destroy people with your tongue. You can destroy people's reputation. You can slander people. Slander comes from the word diabolos, which is diablo, is the same word as Satan. And so it's what comes out of your mouth, not what goes in your mouth. See, God has promised to cleanse the heart eternally. Of his people through his son, Jesus Christ, not by the law, but by grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, for by grace you have been what? Saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not of works. It's not what you do and what you don't. It's what Jesus has done. And so we're saved by grace. Now let's look at the middle of verse 9. Look at the middle of verse 9. It says, For it is good that the heart be established by grace. The heart be established by grace. Not rules and rituals. Not legalism. Not what you eat. Well, not what you don't eat. Okay? Of course, take care of your body. Eat what's healthy. Eat what's, you know, what's good for you. But don't say, oh, I can't eat this. I can't drink this. Because it's a sin. Okay, there's nothing in the scripture that says that. Okay, obviously drinking blood is kind of weird unless you're, I don't know, hopefully you don't drink blood. But anyhow, (laughs) by grace. So it's not of foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Let's look at verse 10 now. He says, we, now he's speaking to you and I, and to the first readers of Hebrews, we believers have an altar. We have an altar for which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. We have an altar. It's not a material altar, but it's the person, Jesus Christ. He is an altar. So he says symbolically, as the Old Testament had an altar where they made sacrifices, we have an altar. His name is Jesus Christ. He's not only our altar, but he's also the sacrifice. Now, generally, looking at the altar, when it comes to the sacrifice of animals, the high priest would not allowed to eat. So look at verse 9. So we have an altar for which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. They have no right to eat the sacrifice. He is speaking about the high priest. Now, 
normally when there are sacrifices made by the high priest after he sacrificed the lamb, the blood was taken and it was you know sprinkled around the mercy seat. They would eat the remains of that that sacrifice. They were to eat it all. However, on the day of atonement, on the day of atonement, the sacrifice of that lamb was for the whole nation of Israel. They were not allowed to eat that. They were not allowed to partake of that lamb on the day of atonement. All the other were there to eat it. They weren't to leave any. And so what did they do with the remains of that sacrifice on the day of atonement? Look at verse 11. It will give us the answer. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest, not any high priest, for sins are burned outside the camp. So on the day of atonement, when they atone the lamb for the nation that one time, this is the only time they're not allowed to eat it. They would take that lamb, take it outside and burn it. Here's the picture. You have the high priest. He takes the blood. Of the lamb, he sprinkles it on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels. That's what he would do. And then that's, and you'll find that in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14. Then he would take the lamb outside the camp. That's in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. So they follow that. These are shadows of things to come because look, here's the substance. Jesus Christ, look at verse 12. Here's the picture he's trying to give you. Therefore, Jesus also, Jesus also, he is our altar. He is our sacrifice that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered. Where? Outside the gate. Outside the gate. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the walls of Jerusalem on the hill called Golgotha on Calvary's cross. You see all this. You know, it's amazing how people say, well, yeah, that's what they did. They can't make the connection. They can't make the connection because reality is spiritually discerned. And so we see the picture of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was sacrificed for the sins of the world outside the walls of Jerusalem, there in Golgotha on Calvary's cross. And so the writer writes, like he wrote back in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, he wrote this, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having attained an eternal redemption. His sacrifice was once and for all. No more animals, no more sacrifice, because they only covered sin. But Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, was the Lamb of God takes away sin. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So he gives us the picture in which the high priest would follow the word of God in the book of Leviticus and all these little rituals all points to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all the law. He fulfilled all the sacrificial laws and and the practice, but it was through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 13. It says, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. To the Jews to go outside. Now, here's the mentality. Understand the first readers of Hebrews. If you went outside the camp, it meant that you were being separated from the community. 
To go outside the camp meant that you would be separated from the community, for they considered everything outside the camp to be unclean. Well, as a matter of fact, when Jesus went through Samaria, you know, the disciples, you know, thought, you know, Jesus, you know, he's, he's really flipping. We're going through Samaria? Jews never walked through Samaria. They went around Samaria because they were half Jews. They were afraid to dirty their sandals. That's how legalistic they were. But here... We see that the Jews never went outside the camp because it was considered unclean. But anyone outside the camp, they would be considered outside the Jewish community. However, however, Jesus Christ was the sacrificial Lamb of God. He was crucified outside the camp in Golgotha. And here he's telling us, let us, because he's there, let us, let us Go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. So what we've done when we became believers in Jesus Christ, when we realize he's our Lord and Savior, when we realize he's the only way, that he's our creator, we went to the cross and there we repented our sins and we've been born again. Born again, our salvation, our eternal life, everything that we have now in Christ began at the cross. We went outside the camp. And we went to the cross. Now look at the end of verse 13. It says, bearing his reproach. And we are to bear the disgrace that he bore. What does that mean? Well, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We've been crucified with him. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, as we are crucified with Christ, we come to the cross outside Calvary's cross, Galilee. It says in the word of God that to be crucified was to be cursed. One who is crucified is to be cursed. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Now, this is important for us to understand. Because Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, one of the verses that we all know too well, and I think we don't understand the depth of that verse. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Not saying Jew first by priority. They've been waiting for a long time, have they not? Before Gentiles came in, they've been waiting for a long time. So it's salvation of the Jews. But here, that first line, just look at that first line, and you know this verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does Paul mean by that? We take it to say, well, I'm ashamed to be a Christian. That's why I don't share my faith. No, it goes beyond that. When Paul made this statement, when he wrote this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he is saying is this. I am not ashamed. And how my Lord and Savior chose to die for me on the cross. I am not ashamed that he chose to be cursed. Because you see, in that day, in that culture, to be hung on the cross was a curse. To the Jews, it was considered a curse. To Rome, it was considered a curse. To the Gentiles, considered a curse. And what Paul is saying, they would probably mock a Christian and say, you mean to tell me 
The Romans and the Jews in those days and the Gentiles will say, you mean to tell me your God is the one that hung on the cross? That's your God? A man who bled to death, who's nailed? Is that, that's your God? Really? Wow. He's so powerful, isn't he? You see the mockery? You see how Jesus became a curse for us? So when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, I'm not ashamed that my Lord and Savior hung on the cross. I'm not ashamed that he bled for me. I'm not ashamed that he took my place in Calvary. I am not ashamed. That's why I say we bear the reproach. We go to the cross outside the camp. That is where we're saved. That is our Lord. That is our Savior. Reality is he's no longer on the cross. He's risen. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we bear his reproach. We take that. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. So understand when we say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've been crucified with Christ. What we're saying is, and we're so used to it, you know, I've been crucified. Yeah. But understand, in that culture back then, almost 2,000 years ago, it was considered a curse. But we go forth to him outside, bearing his fruit. Look at verse 14. It says, for here... We have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now, Jerusalem was the geographical center of the camp. It was the center of Jewish religious life. It was their community. It was their world. It was their everything. However, however, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have no earthly permanent city. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? We're all going to die one day. But after that, it's the important thing. That's eternity. Think about it. You're only going to live. Some people are dying now in their 50s, 60s, 70, 80. Say you live to be 120. I don't, I don't want to live to be 120. I want to go to heaven. <laughs> but, you know, think about it. But compare 120 to eternity. Think about it. But we're going to be in heaven because of Jesus Christ. We're going to live eternally in heaven so we, our place is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners in this land. And that's what Abraham said to Pharaoh. When Joseph introduced his father, I'm sorry, Jacob. When Joseph introduced his father, Jacob, to Pharaoh, he said, we're just sojourners. We're just here for a while. And even Abraham knew that. Abraham never had a tent. I mean, he lived in a tent. He never had a building made. He was very, very wealthy. He had 318 trained orange men that saved his nephew Lot from the five kings, right? And so he was a very wealthy man, but he never permanently had a place. He never built with all the money he had because he knows he's just a sojourner. We're all passing, right? So now, let's look at verse 15. We're going to look at why we have an obligation to worship the Lord. Therefore... Therefore, therefore, because Christ is the same yesterday and forever, verse 8. Therefore, because of grace, verse 9. Therefore, because we have an altar, Jesus Christ and his blood, verse 10. Therefore, because Christ was crucified outside, sacrificed outside the camp, verses 11 and 12. And because, therefore, we go outside to the camp, to Christ, in verse 13. And therefore, because Christ, we seek heavenly Jerusalem, verse 14, therefore, because of all these things, he says, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So our spiritual obligation is to now worship God because of all he's done. Now, we can see that the Bible is filled with so many things that we need to be thankful for. 
But he's closing the theme here in his letter. We have the whole Bible to read and look at so many things we need to be thankful for to the Lord, to worship him. So it's an obligation of devotion to our Lord and Savior, who is our all in all. And we worship him. That's why, you know, we worship the Lord. We Christ is the center of our worship. We worship him. We give him thanks with the worship. And we glorify him. And so. We continue on and we worship him because the old covenant is done. He is the lamb of God. No more sacrifices of animals. He has done so much for us. The Old Testament sacrifice was obsolete as we we looked at. But we sacrifice. We give our lives to the Lord as a sacrifice. And he says in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Paul writes this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Everything we do, we we give to the Lord. And it's our all and all is everything we are. We give it to the Lord. And so our obligation to the Lord is, is devotion and worship. And the ultimate worship is really a giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. It was once said, When one truly gives himself to the Lord, all other givings become easy. And it's so true. When you give your life completely to the Lord, anything else is easy. Because you now understand that your life and everything that is attached to your life is given to you by him. And he will always supply. When you give, God gives to you. You know, when you put that into practice... And you give to the Lord worship and praise because he is worthy of it. And so we have a spiritual obligation to continually offer, continually. It doesn't mean just stop once in a while. It doesn't mean just a Sabbath or just one day a week to offer sacrifice and praise the Lord. The psalmist writes in Psalms 43 verse 4, I will go to the altar of God, my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Praise the Lord. It's always good to worship God, not only in church. But in your quiet time, in your time of devotion, sing to the Lord. You know, every morning, you know, it's, I, it's like almost before five. I'm kind of trying to pinpoint the, when the birds are going to chirp. You know, I just love to hear this. They, they're faithful continually every day. It doesn't fail. In the spring, in the summer, I just love it. The windows cracked open and you just hear the birds. Worshiping God. Worshiping God. Can't, you know, think about a bird can worship God more than you, me. <laughs> wow. You know, say, Lord, praise the Lord. You know, I always wonder what these birds are singing to the Lord, but they do it anyway. How easy it is for us, you know, sometimes when we complain about everything, but how important it is for us to give thanks to the Lord. Seek the Lord, worship him. And so Psalm 18, verse 3 says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. There is nothing. Even when you go through trials and tribulations, the best time to worship God. The best time to worship God. Friends, we're so glad you decided to join us today here on Running the Race. Pastor Eddie has been taking us through the book of Hebrews in a series titled, Jesus is Better. Within its pages, you hear about great people of faith. Do you feel like you could live a life like these great people of faith? You realize they weren't perfect, right? 
Our hope is that these messages are empowering you to see and believe that you can be a person of great faith too. One way to grow in your faith and understanding of God is by joining up with others who love and serve God. Here's Jessica with an invitation just for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. For the rest of us, remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more from the book of Hebrews. For today, our time has come to a close, but we'll be back again next time and hope you will too. Come back to hear Pastor Eddie share more from this great book of Hebrews, here on Running the Race.